Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In honor of the 73rd annual DGA Awards, we're bringing back our annual series of episodes devoted to our popular Meet the Nominees Theatrical Feature Film Symposium. The event, which celebrated its 30th anniversary this year, is a roundtable discussion with the directors nominated for the Guild's Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Theatrical Feature Film. This year's nominees include Lee Isaac Chung, the director of Minari, Emerald Fennell, the director of Promising Young Woman, David Fincher, the director of Mank, Aaron Sorkin, the director of The Trial of the Chicago Seven, and Chloe Zhao, the director of Nomadland. These talented directors gathered on April 10th to discuss the craft of directing and the making of their films with moderator Jeremy Kagan in front of a virtual audience. So please enjoy part one of our Meet the Nominees special and listen to the five nominees share the advice they've gotten from other directors, how they prepare for the next day on a shoot, and where they like to position themselves on set. It is so great to have all five of you here at the same time. I don't know if you heard what I just said, but if we were in the theater at this moment, you would be being acknowledged by a standing ovation of uh, well over seven, eight hundred people um, because of the amazing work you've done. And so thank you for sharing it. And as you know, this conversation we're about to have is with your peers. This is with directors. This is with um, the directorial team. And they're most interested in learning about how you do what you do. Um, and just to get us started, I'm, I was thinking um, you're so <laughs> experienced now, all of you now, having done so many of these video interviews that you may be zoomed out uh, doing them. So, and I was thinking that on the stage um, years ago, Steven Spielberg was asking for advice from Federico Fellini after his first or second movie. And Federico said, you know. You're going to be asked lots of questions about your movie, and it's, you're going to get the same question over and over again, and you're going to get so bored. So what I suggest is, this is my advice to you, tell lies, make up stories. That's what you should do. So you don't bore yourself. Now, on stage happened to be Roberto Benini, who was also a Fellini, uh, a friend, and he was shocked. And he turned to Stephen and said, but, but Frederico always said to me, you always have to tell the truth. And now I know he was lying. So <laughs> we're going to deal with what truth you're all about to say. In fact, I'd like to start the conversation. There you go. I'd like to start the conversation <laughs> with advice that you've gotten from other directors, what you learned from other directors. And M, start, because you've seen and worked with many directors. <laughs> Any advice? And particularly because this is your first feature. God, I think, well, one of, the, the worst advice I ever got was from someone who said, always do try and turn up on time, which really didn't seem the best advice in general. Um, but actually, you know, a female director friend of mine uh, said, beware of the are you shores. Um, she said, uh, often you'll find... If you're, you know, if you're a first-time filmmaker, or if you're making a film in a place you've not worked for, or you're a woman, or any of those things, what you'll find is you lose time because people. There's a lot of "Are you sure?" And she she realised she was losing a couple of hours a day, not because people were being, um, not because they were being difficult. In fact, to the contrary, they were being helpful. Uh, but actually, that helpfulness was kind of slowing things down. And, and after the first week, she banned. She said, uh, from now on, nobody asks, are you sure? And she said, she, literally for the first week, um, she would say, okay, we're going to shoot it from here. And somebody would go, up. Oh. <laughs> so that was amazing advice. And, and you've seen uh, and worked with many directors. Um, have you seen things that you would have said, boy, that's something I'll never do? Or that's something I want to do? Oh, God. I mean, it's such a personal preference, isn't it? I don't respond very well to being frightened, but some people really, really do. So I don't know. I try not to be frightening, but I can. It's <laughs> probably be a bit occasionally. Got it. Well, you you may scare us in a little bit, but we'll, we'll wait for the fear here. For, yes. David, for you, 
have you ever been given any advice from another director uh, uh, that you've taken or mm -hmm. learned from another director? And I know you've learned from Hitchcock, but I'm interested in how you would respond to this. Um, I, I actually had a, uh, an interesting piece of advice once from uh, Martin Scorsese, who, who, and I, I'm paraphrasing because, uh, but he was talking about, um, he was talk, we were talking about style. And he said something along the lines of, um, remember, the things that you do poorly are as much a part of your style as the things that you do well. And, and that's a great thing because otherwise everybody's, everyone's movies would look like Citizen Kane <laughs> and everyone would be trying to do that. And, and it's a little bit, you know, when you try to do something, like that and you fail in the inimitable way that you will fail it's it's that is kind of your signature you know and and i think that you know i find the process over time is trying to mitigate it against the stuff that you want to take out of your uh of your work you know and and try not to punish yourself ah that's a good one i like that last one a lot aaron um, you've had many directors work for you and you've worked for many directors. What advice have you been given um, that you remember or learned from other directors? Well, you know, uh, I directed for the first time just four years ago. Um, and now I'm in the middle of the directing for, for the third time. But it was a little over 10 years ago that I was asked to direct the first time. Uh, I, I'd written the screenplay and the producer and the head of the studio uh, thought it'd be a, a good idea if I directed it. And uh, I I went around and I spoke to a number of writers turned writer-directors uh, that I admire, including Jim Brooks. And they were very encouraging, uh, saying, I know you think you can't do this, but you can do this, or you're ready uh, uh, to do this. So I was going to go ahead and direct that film. But I just made one suggestion. I said, before I commit to directing we just send it to David Fincher? Uh, uh, he passes on everything. Read it and pass on this, and then um, uh, I'll be ready to do it. And we sent it to David. Three hours later, uh, I got an email from David saying, "Hey, David. Hey, Aaron. It's David. I'm going to direct the Social Network. Can you come over?" Uh, so uh, I, I, I would say I got lucky. Uh, did I've you, learned did a you, lot from directors. I've had a chance to work with uh, great directors like David uh, and like Mike Nichols uh, on three different television series, Tommy Shlami. Uh, and you'd have to really not be paying attention to, uh, uh, to not learn a little bit from them. On the other hand, you know, trying to learn from David Fincher is like trying to watch Tiger Woods and then learn golf from him. It's, it's not going to work the same when the golf club's in your hand, uh, uh, than, it, than it is in David. So, um, you know, what I've learned is surround yourself with very talented people, uh, uh, DP, production designer, editor, costume designer, all, all of the department heads. Cast it well. Um, uh, uh, put, Put great athletes on the field. Put great actors uh, uh, in the film. Give them a chance to do their best. Uh, uh, try to be clear and hope that the screenplay uh, is good enough that everybody can understand what their role is in uh, in, in putting it on its feet and making it come alive. Aaron, did any of these directors, including David, warn you of something that you is a is a you know a, a thing that you what might want to avoid as a director? David was extremely generous with, you know, we, on the set, and we, uh, uh, we, we certainly talked a lot in the, in the pre-production period, you know, in the, uh, working on the script, uh, and so forth. I can't remember him telling me anything to do or to avoid, uh, but I will tell you that as a matter of fact, the very first time I directed, it was 10 years ago. It was on a social network because on the, on the last day of shooting, which was a Saturday, uh, 
there were three very easy things, relatively easy things, uh, that we had to get uh, on that Saturday. We had gotten the second one, and David called me into his trailer. First, he showed me some cut footage uh, uh, that he put together, which looked fantastic. And then he said, let me tell you what's going to happen now. Uh, uh, the last thing to get, again, it, it, it was an easy shot that doesn't even last uh, two seconds. Uh, but he said, let me tell you what's going to happen now. I'm going to get into my car and leave, and you're going to direct uh, the final shot on the schedule. And I laughed. I was sure that he was kidding. He said, no, uh, I'm serious. I'm going to get in my car and leave, uh, and, and you're going to do this. And I still thought he was kidding, but suddenly people were coming up to me uh, to approve wardrobe, to approve background, uh, Jeff Cronin with the GP to approve the shot. Uh, and sure enough, David got in his car and left. Now, a big part of that may have been that David is not comfortable with the sentimentality of saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious that that was a lot of it, but at least some small part of it was David wanting me to understand this isn't like when the pilot calls you up in the cockpit when he, <laughs> yeah. and he says, you're flying the plane now, uh, that he got off the lot to port me uh, uh, to be the one in charge. We did one take. It was perfect. Uh, uh, I said, that's cut. That's great. Check the gate. Uh, the AV said, please, there is no way I can send David one egg uh, of this. Uh, you have to do more. <laughs> so I said, okay, let's do it again. Exactly the same way you just did. Um, I don't know, David. I, I think we did two or three or four just to not get in trouble. But I agree. It was a moment that really meant a lot. Uh, uh, just that, 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 even if it was to get out of saying goodbye to him. Um, I'd, I'd ask you what it's like to be directed by David since you were directed by him in social network. We're going to save that for a second. Let me, let me, oh let, let me ask I, Isaac, Isaac the, the same question. Uh, advice from other directors or something that you learn from other directors? Um, you, you know, one, one that stands out to me, uh, I, I got to know a filmmaker uh, in Korea, a master filmmaker named Lee Chang-dong, and he, he directed right. Burning. Um, and I remember I was talking to him about Minari, and we were talking about production design, and he just told me, as a general rule, don't, don't aim for perfection. Don't aim for perfection, but aim for human, like aim for the most human thing. And uh, he said that's that that's something that needs to be clear in all the production design, but it's also something to keep in mind for the film. I mean, aiming for protect, perfection is good, but the priority is always try to make it as human as possible. Um, and that that always stayed with me throughout the production of this film. But defining what that means, though, um, the distinction that you're making between sort of like perfection and human, can you delve a little deeper from the yeah. advice you just given? Well, we were talking about how um, a lot of things with, with people is just unpredictable and it, it can't seem too designed. It can't seem like someone from top down has designed it, but there's something from inside coming out from, from below. I, I, I like that advice. I like that idea of something surprising or something that is counterintuitive kind of coming from, from the characters of the film. That makes sense. Thank you. Um, how about for you, Zhao? Uh, Chloe, what was uh, any advice that you ever got from um, uh, another director or learned from other directors? Yeah, well, th there are two things. One is it, it was uh, some recently uh, it was wasn't from a director; it was from an exec. Someone said to me, um, "You don't have to be loud when you know you're in charge." That was really really helpful for me, uh, not necessarily artistically, but just again, you know, Emerald, you 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 touch up a little bit, just being someone coming to arena that I feel like I need to be on the defense all the time. Um, it was really helpful to, to have someone say to me, you know, you're in charge. You don't have to make sure people know you are because you are. That, that would, that saved me a lot of, um, stress and, and effort. The other thing is just, uh, being, um, around Werner Herzog, uh, who has been a mentor to me and, you know, going to Oktoberfest with him and watching how he explains, um, grilled fish, for example, like that's how we get it on the street with this precision. 
of uh, detail that he knows about how fish is grown and, and what temperature is from which river. And, and I remember him, um, you know, with he said you can watch someone who is an expert on birds and learn a lot about filmmaking. There's something about that obsession about this thing. I used to feel bad and I'm so obsessed with my movie and just that's all I care about. I think about and I used to feel guilty about it. But he really made me feel, I know this is okay. That That's what why you would make it good because you become that completely. It was great to spend time with him. That's 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 a wise piece of advice and and a, and a, and a, and a real one. Um, what I'd like to ask all of you is what your homework is the day, or it might be a night shoot, or the night before, um, what your homework is that you do the night before you're going on to the whatever that next day's or next night shoot is, and what's the first thing you do when you go on the set? And Chloe, I'm going to start with you. So in, in your movie, because you shot over a five-month period, um, um, you were uh, in so many different kinds of locations, the entire style of your film it has this feel of um, discovery, uh, as distinguished from it's already down here on paper, um, and we're now realizing that. Um, so I suspect that, that your homework uh, might have been different than another kind of film, or maybe it was the same. But what's for all of you, what's the homework you do the night before, and what's the first thing you do when you walk onto a set? Chloe? The night before, for me, because I know I would be editing it um, and also I'm writing it, so I had to watch the dailies and I have to write, knowing like, okay, I think I've got enough if I'm going to edit this thing, what else, what other scenes I need or what what I need to change. I mean, everything, I'm sure everyone does that, but, but I'm, for me it was an insular uh, process and I have to rewrite the scenes for next morning. I try to get it to the producers by 6 a.m. so they can actually change things for on the day. First thing I show up is apologizing for changing everything, and then <laughs> who do you who do you apologize to first? Uh, to the producers and the ads and the actor, everyone, and then uh, uh, and then go find me something, uh, some breakfast that I can digest. Got it. And and who who actually are the first people that you do talk to uh, and meet with when you walk? My on DP. My DP. Got it. And 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 what will that conversation? If that's the first person that you engage with uh, when you walk and say, what will that conversation be about? Well, time of day was a huge part of how we planned the day. He, you know, I know that most of the time that he would have a plan to know that. Well, also, you don't know whether you're going to get on that day. So, so much is a, it's like a survival conversation. I was like, uh, you know, you don't know, maybe someday a certain person isn't showing up or the, whatever. It's, it's about readjusting, like resetting ourselves for a brand new adventure every single morning. Everything you plan could go out of the window. I'm going to use a specific example since that's the first person that you say you often talk to. There's a very long tracking shot um, with uh, Francis McDormand um, through one of the camps, um, and, it, and it's a it's a wonderful sort of journey that we take with her past the campers, past people in you know in different groups. Um, and would that be an example of where you will walk onto the set not having talked about it and figured that out, or would that have been one that you would have talked about and thought about before the day of? Well, the, the goal is for you to feel like that we never talked about it and just showed up. But that was a shot that's, that's planned months ahead. Every vehicle was brought in stage exactly where we needed to be. Every person is cute. Everybody knew they, what they needed to do. And we can do one take every day because the sun has to be just at the exact spot to not blow up the sky, blow out the sky. And also at the same time, not you know, you have to make sure that's not washed out either. So there's only like one moment we can do it. So that's the opposite of everything I just said. That's that. That's one where <laughs> you want it to feel like a magic trick. So the planning actually takes really long to get to that very moment. And uh, other situations that would be normal is you would walk on to, let, uh, let's, let's say if you're in uh, the Amazon um, um, location, um, would you be walking onto the set and talking to your camera person and saying, these are the kind of shots I'm feeling from the work that you did the night before, thinking about how you were going to shoot it? If you can hear each other in there, um, <laughs> very, very loud. Um, it's, one, it's one of those that, you know, we had to follow certain kind of safety rules 
So we, we couldn't just do whatever we wanted. But in there, I didn't want to stage actual scenes that would need too much of my input. I, I rely quite a bit on my DP and his visual visual uh, style to, to just go grab shots that, that later on in the edit. I knew he knew me enough to shoot enough to know that I can like, you know, the feeling of loneliness, feeling like having a small person in this big modern factory. I trust him to be able to get those shots. And I trust Fran to be able to really be in the moment in there working and give us something. She's such a brilliant actress. And that's so much is found in the edit. Got it. Got it. Thank you. Uh, Isaac, for you, um, what's the homework that you would do before the next day's shoot? And what's the first thing you do when you walk onto a set? Um, I was thinking about that. I don't remember too much that's systematic about my process with that, but uh, I, I try to catch up on decision making for the art department and costume and or, or wardrobe, and, uh, and and then just prepare the the next day. Like I, I definitely sit down with a call sheet and really figure out how we're gonna map out the day between me and the DP. Um, so. Usually in the morning, I do grab a quick coffee and breakfast and I, I just go and sit with uh, my DP and we just talk through what we're going to get. We didn't have much time. We had about, uh, we didn't go into overtime any day and we, we shot for like 25 days. And uh, with, with Alan, our youngest actor, we could only have him on set for six hours because of the travel time between the hotel and location. Um, so... Every scene, we knew we only have X number of shots or setups that we can do. So um, that was kind of the challenge of this one, where we had to strategize, like, what, where do we devote the most time and, and, and all those things. So um, I found that conversation with Lockie, our, our DP, incredibly helpful, uh, just to be on the same page so that we don't have to waste time doing that throughout the day. Would you, would you then be with him if he's the first person you're speaking to after, after having the coffee and, and maybe the egg sandwich? Yeah. Is, would you be talking about a shot list uh, or the intention of, of what, you know, the number of, of shots that you needed to get within this particular day? What would that right. conversation be? It would be a combination of both, but a lot of it was uh, the shot list, talking through the shot, the, the setups and, and things like that, that that we would need. Yeah, got it. And how about for you, Aaron? When when you um, uh, um, do the homework before the next day's shoot? Now I know um, you had two different kinds. I'm I'm sure when you were doing the action sequences, I know this is newer for you, so that's got to have been a re real complex homework, way way before you actually did it. But if it's a scene um, that was one of the trial scenes, what's your homework before uh, uh, that evening? And then when you walk on the set, uh, what's the first thing you do? The night before an action scene on Chicago 7, um, I would Google how to fake your own death. Um, <laughs> see if I can find anything there. But what I, uh, what I do, uh, the night before is, uh, I would say I, I reread the scene and I'll, I'll write to the actors. I'll, I'll send an email to the principal actors, uh, in the scene, just talking to them about one or two general things that are important to me that they keep in mind. And usually it's something along the lines of keep it simple. Uh, uh, that the, the writing in this scene, um, is, is going to start to flirt with melodrama. Uh, it's going to kind of walk right up to melodrama and, and introduce itself. And you have to not lean into that. You have to fight against that, uh, and keep it simple. Um, and, and then just some cheerleading. You're going to be great. You've been doing great. You're going to just have fun, uh, uh, doing it. There are probably, uh, maybe one or two shots, uh, that are, that I want to make sure I get that are important to me. Now we need to understand that we are inside this person's head. So we got to get this, uh, push up. We have to make sure this is going to live in coverage. We've got to, uh, uh, make sure of that. And then when I get to the set, uh, in the morning, yeah, the first person you're talking to, uh, is, is the DP and the first AD, uh, is there. We're, we're talking about the scene, uh, and, uh, talk about the, the master, uh, uh and how we're going to move in and then talk about those shots that I've written down that, uh, that I want to make sure, uh, that I get. That, that's usually it. Got it. Got it. And M, how about for you? Um, what's the homework that you do uh, the night before? And uh, what's the uh, first thing you do when you get on the set? 
on set, uh, well, first thing I'll do when I get there, I'll, I'll eat something. But the first thing on set is just kind of, I don't know, it's that thing of like taking the gauge, like what's the temperature, what's everyone's like emotional temperature that day? Because you kind of, there's vibe every morning, depending on how the night before went and all of that stuff. So I think it's kind of getting, for me, getting the sense of how everyone's feeling uh, before then being like, okay, we've got another impossible day ahead. So like, let's do it. This is what we're doing. Where do you, where, Em, where do you put yourself when you're on set? Um, you know, the world of video village, the world of monitors, the world of actually getting right next to the lens so that you can be with uh, the actors and everything else is behind you. Where, where are you um, uh, when you are working on set? Um, I'm at the monitor that might sort of hover between my, mine and Ben, DP's monitors, like slightly uh, interfering nature. Um, but generally, I don't want to be in the actor's eye line if I can help it. I want to kind of be, I need to be looking, I need to be looking at what I'm going to be seeing. Because I think I can very easily get beguiled by what's happening in the room. So I need to kind of keep myself away. And when you want to give a note to your actor, since you're behind the monitor, I don't know whether the monitor is as close to the camera, wherever you put them. But what's your process? Uh, go, go in, go in, quietly talk to them. If they're being naughty, shout from my mansion. <laughs> Fair enough. But I thought you didn't like that idea of the belligerence here. Right? <laughs> well, not sure. I wouldn't, I would never shout cruel obscenities. It might, you know, if they, Why not? If, they're, <laughs> if they're giggling or, you know, or against it and they need a bit of kind of sternness then occasionally you'll hear the kind of voice of god the cranky voice of god right. but in general i want to go in and like you know have a private conversation got it, got it. david for you um where are you in relationship to monitors and when you want to give notes to your actors uh, what's your process um, well, I, I unfortunately am crippled and hamstrung by this idea of using, I use two cameras uh, almost all the time because I uh, I like to plan for things that I need um, to have real tight continuity matches. And so I will, it, uh, almost invariably, it's a rat to get from monitors to, to the cast. And so I will fight my way through it a first couple times and then you know usually they clear some space for me because i'm you know grumbling and what the fucking spaghetti and um but uh i th i think that you my personal taste is that i want to see what the audience is seeing I, I i'm all for and i think that there are times when 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 you're and i don't shoot a lot of warner brothers close-ups but when you're shooting something that's that intimate you know you do want to kind of you know tuck in by the map box to see to kind of get a, a feel uh, as to what what's being presented. But for the most part, I want to see it through through. I want to see it the way the audience is going to see it, which is, you know, in, in the beginning, why I resented the whole idea that digital cameras had to have a, a rotating mirror so that the DP could see the light falling on the actors. But no one else could, you know, everybody, everybody else was stuck with that 1080p monitor. So I, I, I like very much I, I work through a camera. I almost, I mean, I'll watch a rehearsal or I'll watch a, a, a number of rehearsals without having monitors up. But I, um, from the time we set a master or, or a master and an alternate master, the rest of the day is working through the camera because that's the only thing that matters. Got it. Got it. Um, and, and when you do, uh, if you want to give a, uh, an adjustment, you will um, squeeze yourself through those two cameras. Um, uh, well, I, I tend, you know, I don't know if you know this, but I, I tend to shoot a lot of takes and I, um, <laughs> and, and I tend to like the idea of giving, uh, of inundating actors with notes and giving them, you know, this can make people the first couple of times very, very uncomfortable. It's like you just gave me 12 notes and it's a nine minute take and we're starting from the beginning again. And what am I supposed to do? And I'm, 
And my attitude is you're supposed to, the stuff that you can respond to, you're supposed to respond. And the rest, any anything that goes in one ear and out the other, don't sweat. Like the stuff, I'm going to give you 12 or 15 things. And the the stuff that sticks is the stuff that you're going to relate to. And we're just trying. We're not, there's no expectation that the next one is the one. I want to, I want to create an environment where, listen, we've talked about it for three weeks in rehearsals. We've rehearsed it for an hour and a half in the morning. Once we lock in on what it is, then I just want that. I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, meet Mr. Lincoln, but it, but it has to be repeatable to, to, to the extent that I can coverage. And, and, and my process is, is, is not, you know, John Houston used to shoot, you know, the first six lines in the master and the last seven lines in the master and then go in for coverage. And, and I do, I will shoot a master until I feel I could play the entire scene in the master. And then I will shoot an over until I feel I could sh- play the entire scene in an over. And then I will shoot the singles and, and I will go at that. And it's not to, you know, it's not to grind people into dust. It's simply to say, you know, Emerald said there, you take the temperature of, of the, of everybody involved in that morning and you're sort of, you know, adjusting the sliders. I tend to be like, I want to be sensitive to what people are going through, but I want you to leave that at the door. And then I want you to concentrate on exactly what it is that we have to do so that I can, if, if need be, cut the scene from a perspective that maybe wasn't the one that I had been thinking about for, you know, in the case of this movie, 30, 30 years. Got it. Got it. Um, uh, th- thank you for that. Um, because the perspective of, of of shooting the whole scene and getting it right in whatever angle it is, rather than as you were saying, Houston sort of getting the the close up when he wanted it and the wide shot getting out of it. Uh, Chloe, what what about for you? Where are you when you're shooting? Well, it's it's really interesting. Well, you know what David was just saying. Even though I come at a very different um, method, for me, it's always like it's what's on the camera that's the most. That that's it. You know, that's the difference between film and theater. Even though people think I might be more, because I work with a lot of non-professional actors, I'm usually like right there with them and watching them. I wish I'm. I used to romanticize. I wish I'm that kind of director, but I learned very much when we watch dailies. And I go, that is not what I felt it over there. I had to sit calmly in front of uh, a monitor. A lot of times, we have the sun right there. I only can do one take. Actually, you know, it's very camera driven. Many times our non-professional actor will be a little bit less um, care about this than our professional actors. I need to learn how to make them more comfortable. It's like, I just need to do this. You don't have to know why. You don't have to, I just, because uh, in my in my head, I'm editing it. Like It's on survival mode. I'm never going to be back in this location again with these people at this time of the day. So I need exactly what I needed in the edit room to make it work. And so with non-professional actor, they would just do one smile for me, one look here, there, so to patch it together. And Fran, again, is just so good at that. She would give me like five different reactions for no reason why. And so I later on, I can put it together. And and so it's still actually very camera driven is is I is whatever we needed later, even though it's come from a different angle. So, but where where are you actually positioned? Are you next to your camera operator, or are you? Is, you shoot 360. You don't really have a place you could sit down and watch. So I would I would have something with me the whole time, so I could either hide behind the car, or um, I would walk behind the camera. It's not ideal to walk behind the camera because you still have the adrenaline of the scene. You're not making the best judgment whether what you capture is actually reflecting that for the audience that's going to sit still watching it. So if I can, I try to squat. <laughs> I can fit in very tiny spaces, uh, very flexible. So you can, <laughs> I can hide in a lot of places. And and that's why I try to find a position that is still. And I, oh. I will monitor. But I never, I don't really have a tent or anything like that. But the monitor is small. Got it. So you're having, you're, you're carrying kind of a clamshell and moving as, uh, as close as to your people or getting out of the way where your camera is going to move. 
when I would love to have like a rock or something, you know, like something I can wear just so I can, so I can hide. We got to get you an endorsement for Google Glass or something. <laughs> there you go. That's right here. When you, when you want to give adjustments, and we're going to talk about this uh, uh, further, but um, since you're what you're there, um, how, how are you operating? Will you then, then step forward in front of the, the lens? And how, you know, how, how are you giving your adjustments to your actors at this moment? It's a mixture. I, I will shout if it's like the sun is about to set and I'm further away, I'll just shout. It's like, it's, 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 and I apologize later. And, um, and then, <laughs> or, or in advance. Yeah. And they all know, they all know I magic hour, anything goes. Uh, everything will be forgiven. And then other times, obviously, when someone's talking about something so intimate, both friend and non-professional, it's about clearing the two people that we have on set and then just whisper into their ears, hold their hands. And it, it really depends on what, what we're talking about. Gotcha. I'm, I'm going to stick with you for another question, which is a little bit more ahead of us, ourselves, <laughs> which is when you want to give an adjustment to an actor, what you do. Um, and I want to hear from all of you how you, uh, if you want to change something on set, what, what you do to and uh, get that change. But I'm, I'm sort of really interested in, in, Chloe, while we're talking here, when you're talking to your actors, um, particularly to your non-actors, and you want them to do something different, what's your process here? Because um, I know some of the pieces like the interview with the, with the vet uh, um, or some people telling uh, stories, Bob, I think, talking. Some of these people are really, if you were making a documentary, this might be what they would say. But the relationship sort of with Linda May and with, with uh, uh, Swanky, I mean, they're, um, there's a, they're real performances here. So I'm curious if you want to have a change. I'm just thinking when Swanky gets sick. Um, and um, she, you know, how did you, if you wanted to adjust, what would you be saying? And how would you do that, particularly with your non-actors? I want to take credits for those great performances, but it's really not, I don't, I would not go in there and say, give me 50% of that. Or like, you know, actually it needs to be more hopeful. I, I will never do that. It's really, I, I've heard those speeches before and I've written them in the right part of the script for it to work in the film. And then they just need to be able to deliver on set. Because uh, because they're not cast to to work or even have that ability to do that kind of performance that require an actor to do, um, so not so much. If if anything is about trying to make them feel comfortable, uh, and then if there are certain lines that I, I feel like they're going to interesting directions, about writing the moment with them together, and they just need to be really a version of themselves. Got it. But for for example, in that moment when she starts to get sick and she holds her head, and oh yeah, that's a performance moment. I I I assume that 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 was not what was happening to her, but that's what you wanted to happen to the character. Um, can yeah. you talk about that? Well, Swanky was a living per living interpreter. You know that when you go to a museum, sometimes there's like she. I think she was like in the Prairie Wind Museum in Indiana. Like so, she does like historic. Life interpretation. Then she will she will pretend to be a carpenter's wife from the 18th century all 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 day long. So I think she's got that natural. You know, I just told her like I explained the scene to her, and then she did it, and it, it looked pretty <laughs> realistic. Again, I I look I I, I have, when I work with professional actors, I feel like there is that we can craft it more. And and with non-professional actors, a lot of times they you cast them in the right role and right for them. And your job is half down. You really, it's impossible to have a whole cast of non-professional actors and expect them to give you a whole variety of person performance. That's, and it's not the best way to use them or, or your time. And when you talk to them in the process, one more question for you here, as you're meeting them, like finding out that Swanky actually was, quote, a performer or uh, uh, knowing um, sort of what Bob uh, uh, did, um, when you are meeting these people for, for the first time in casting, what is your process of conversation with them so that you then know you can trust them to, when you're on set, be who they are when you're just meeting them? It, it's, um, I put a camera on them almost right away with their permission, just a cell phone, and just to see if they're okay not looking at the camera. You know, I wouldn't be able to do that. It's not like every non-professional actor can just be themselves in front of the camera. That's that, and it's, it's more about how they can trust me. Um, and it's about getting past that 
type of um, um, talk that they expect me to do about their lifestyle, their struggles, their politics is to get past all of that and get to like, uh, what's the first time you fall in love? You know, your first kiss, your football team, and get to that point. And then, and then, so then it can start telling you a bit more about who they are and then finding that essence of, of, of um, what is about them that, that makes you want to go, go, um, be close to this person that everyone else will understand and then pull a little piece of dialogue from there and build that character and then actually change the arc of your main character so that moment can be included in the film. It's an interesting thing. Would, what percentage of the people that you would be in conversation with do you think you would not use? I mean, would you meet 10 people of which one is going to be a slackier than Linda May? Um, yeah, probably. Absolutely. Got it. So there, there really is quote a casting process of the non-actor to, to get to, to see how intimate and present they can be with you. That's my phrase. I, but I, I don't think it's that different than not the, the process of finding a professional actor right for the role. You got to audition them. It's just you're looking for different crafts, it's skills. And and the one, if you were to say the one skill that you really do want to have with any of your non-professionals, what would that skill be if there were a way to describe it? Be in their body. Be present. Be physical, not intellectual. It's super important for non-professional actors because they, if they're being intellectual, they can't really translate into physical like trained actors. They just need to, if they get cold, they just need to feel cold and, and not try to go, oh, maybe I shouldn't feel, pretend to not feel cold right now. They should just be present the whole time because the, the work we do in those moments is to try to maybe I'll whisper something to friends. She will say something that might bring something out of them. Um, if they're not present, if every time something changes, they look at the camera and look at me, then I won't be able to do the kind of work with you. Got it. Got it. So presence. Thank you for that. Isaac, for you, where do you position yourself um, on the set? Where are you? Um, it, it depends on the scene. Normally, I do have a, a handheld monitor as well. I think I'm often hiding, like uh, Chloe is. I, um, I try to be flexible too, but um, I, I do notice I, I try to be next to the camera uh, so that I can just peer up when I want to or when I need to. Because sometimes I, I do find that that presence is necessary, but. Um, it depends on also the actors in the scene. If they if the little boy David or Noel, um, Noel or Alan are in a scene, often I like to be closer to them out of frame because sometimes I want to whisper something that they might say, uh, while we're rolling. Um, and I've already told them, you know, don't react to me whispering something to you. Just, just repeat it. Um, so sometimes I'd be off frame, just ready to say something to them, but, but I, I'd have my monitor there, uh, trying to see what I'm getting as an audience member. Speaking, speaking of whispering, there's a moment when, uh, when uh, David, the little boy, um, is meeting the grandma and he whispers something into, um, his mother's ear and she pulls him and has it whisper it a second time. Um, yeah. we never find out what that whisper is. I mean, you might be guessing it because of the early part of the relationship, but do you remember, uh, how you staged that with him and, and, and talking to him and what you told him? Well, um, uh, she, the mother ends up repeating, oh, he said, uh, you don't look like a real grandma um, or yeah, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. So she he does whisper that like he does whisper that into her ear. Um, one one of the elements that I staged with that one, though, is that we we didn't tell him that uh, Yoon Ya-jong, the, the veteran Korean actress, that she's going to put that uh, chestnut in her mouth and then hand it to him. And I just I just told him in this scene your grandma is going to give you something to eat and just eat it. That's, that's how this scene is going to end. But she put it in her mouth and gave it to him. And then him backing away, that was a real reaction. Wow. <laughs> you know, we tried to get stuff like that, that a kid, you know, would honestly respond to. Um, and I, yeah, that, that was a moment that really pleased me. <laughs> in looking at that moment, I thought you must have said to him, this, I'm sort of fascinated this moment. But I thought you must have said to him, when she offers you this thing, pull away, which is, in fact, what he does. So I thought you directed it. In fact, if I understand you, you did just the opposite. The direction was the to opposite, take it, yeah. and he just says, no, I'm not going to take this thing. Yeah. <laughs> He's calculating right there. I know I was going to eat it, 
<laughs> and you know that kind of fits with the character. Like he's as a good Korean boy, he's been told he's got to do the right thing, but you know, he's not wanting to do it. <laughs> but it, 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 pursuing this at one more level, if you then wanted to do quote take two with this, what would you do? Yeah, you, you may not have. You may have said, "I've got it." I, I said I got it with that one. I, I remember um, if, if it were take two, we would have just tried to do it over again. But I I know for a fact we would have lost the magic of it. And that's why yeah. we all were keeping quiet about what we're about to do. And and that's why we also gave him the coverage first. We, we made sure to cover him with that kind of it's a medium shot, I think, of okay. that moment. And, and then we did like a master after that. Got it. Hmm. Got it. Right, right. Aaron, where where do you position yourself um, uh, in, uh, in shooting? And, and if you want to give uh, whatever adjustments, uh, what's your process? I'm, I'm usually uh, at the monitor. Uh, sometimes I've got uh, the handheld uh, monitor so I can be a little closer. Every once in a while, um, uh, an actor wants me even closer. They'll, they'll want a line reading. Uh, uh, sometimes. Um, uh, so I'll be sitting there and I'll say, say it for me. Uh, so I'll be there. As far as giving notes, first of all, I try not to do it so publicly. I don't want the actor to feel like they're, they're being told they've done something wrong, uh, in front of everybody. And I don't want them feeling like now everybody was going to watch to see how they responded. Sometimes you can't really help it because the movie set is uh, very crowded. But uh, I learned something that there, there's an actor I've, I've worked with uh, a, a lot, Jeff Daniels, uh, and I asked Jeff, uh, how how much or how little do you want to hear from the director while while you're shooting the scene? And he said before we're shooting the scene in rehearsal night before, that morning, talk to me uh, as much as you want. Say whatever you want. Once you start shooting the scene in between takes, say it in five words or less. Um, so I try to get the actors uh, in the scene to the point uh, where all I have to say uh, between the takes uh, is uh, a little hotter, a little colder. Um, I'll, I'll pace it up a little here, bit here, but take your time. There, leave room for this, uh, that kind of thing. Got it. In in a scene like, uh, and thank you. That's uh, um, that's actually quite valuable. In a scene like uh, the argument between uh, Tom Hayden and Kunstler, um, uh, where there's a lot of overlapping in intensity, um, how are you um, speaking to those actors at that particular moment, where in fact it is? Um, uh, sort of overlapping of sort of the, the, the dialogue that you've, you, you've written uh, you, in that particular scene. Do you remember what you said to them? Or, yeah, or sure. Uh, well, first of all, it's two great actors, right? It's Mark Rylance and Eddie Redmayne, um, yeah. uh, who, who need no acting lessons and who have been looking forward to this scene for, for, for months. Uh, so uh, in, in a scene like that, again, it's, it's going to be a lot of Technical musical stuff. I I write a lot of um, interruptions, whether a character is interrupting themselves uh, with another thought, whether they're being interrupted by someone else, and uh, I I need to constantly remind the actor to not anticipate uh, being interrupted. Uh, I really like the sound of two or more people speaking uh, at once, um, and so where in the script the line will be interrupted with a, a dash dash, I'll I'll tell them what the rest of that sentence was going to be. Make sure that that they put the burden on the other actor. Make them stop you from talking. Don't stop because the script uh, uh, told you to stop. And similarly, the actor who's doing the interrupting, interrupt them as soon as you hear the word uh, that is making you say, no, that you know it didn't happen that way, that it's making you uh, argue with them. Don't wait for the moment uh, in the script. So with Eddie and uh, and Mark, it was that they had asked me to write the whole thing, right? Because uh, we keep cutting away to uh, uh, to the early moments of the riot and how right. that uh, uh, suddenly exploded. We keep cutting away to Abby, uh, who's doing 
you know, having stand up that he would do at colleges uh, on the weekends. And so they they asked me to write the whole scene to fill in the blanks uh, for them. Uh, so I did. Uh, and then we shot the whole thing uh, as if there were somewhere around here is a film of uh, them doing the whole thing without cutaways uh, to these other moments. But honestly, I, I, could, I could be wrong. I could be remembering it incorrectly, but I don't remember having to gas those two guys up at all. Uh, Aaron, Aaron, did you shoot, because of this, and David was just talking about that earlier, about shooting multiple cameras. For something like this, where that interruption was happening, were you doing multiple cameras, or were you, this not, where are you with multiple cameras? We used multiple cameras as often as we could, two and sometimes three. Um, uh, with that third camera, with the C camera, being an operator who was just looking for things. Uh, okay, the A and the B camera, you know, had a, a very strict assignment of, uh, of what they needed to do. The C camera operator uh, uh, was, you know, told to make a documentary, find, you know, find someone's hands going like that. Um, uh, uh, in that particular scene, uh, I'm sorry, I cannot remember uh, how many cameras Faden had working, but it was probably at least two, because in a scene like that, frankly, in, in almost every scene in the movie, uh, there, there are a lot of people in the scenes, a lot of coverage to get. Got it. And not much time to get it. Got it. We hope you enjoyed listening to part one of this exclusive discussion. You can watch the full video of the Theatrical Feature Film Symposium on our website at dga.org slash events. And be sure to download next week's episode, where our five Theatrical Feature Film nominees will continue their discussion. Past episodes of The Director's Cut are available wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.